0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome in to the Ken Wyman Show on BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board. Like BSL on Facebook and follow BSL on Twitter.
1: Last week when we spoke, the first thing we talked about was uh, the Brian Mattis situation, and I mentioned that I would not have uh, brought him back this year, and again, I, I'm not always right, but I would have non-tendered Brian Mattis because, quite frankly, uh, I thought even the numbers he had last year were a mirage, and I didn't like uh, the way his career was sort of just. I didn't. I didn't trust Brian Mattis to be that lefty out of the bullpen. I would have gone elsewhere for that. Instead, they paid him 3.9 million dollars. He's been awful so far this year. And on Monday, the Orioles traded Brian Mattis to the Braves for two minor league pitchers, Brandon Barker and Trevor Belichick. And who knows if these guys will ever make it to the major league. Quite frankly, they're both former 16th round picks, one in 2014, one in 2015. Uh, One's going to A-ball, one's going to double A-ball. I don't know what they'll get out of these two guys. The Orioles also sent a competitive balance round B pick, the 76th overall, to the Braves in the deal. And the Braves immediately designated Brian Mattis for assignment. So... They took the contract in exchange for the draft pick, and the Braves are, are building for the future. It's one of those bizarre kind of moves, but uh, the Orioles get rid of Brian Mattis. Now the question is, what are they going to do with their bullpen? They're bringing up Asher Tolliver from the minors to pitch uh, as the lefty out of the bullpen, and hopefully he's successful. But I don't know anything about Asher Tolliver, so I'm as, uh, I'm as curious as you are to see what he can do. But what I did know is that Brian Mattis couldn't get it done. T.J. McFarland, I don't think he can get it done either, but he got hurt on Friday so he was not an option. The Orioles were busy. They also uh tr- they traded uh two international signing bonus slots to the Reds for Franderlin Romero. And the Orioles are in a weird position in that they like to trade uh assets other than players, um money slots for international signings, draft picks, and you know, quite frankly, as poor as they've done in the draft for the most part, it doesn't bother me Deeply when they trade draft picks, but it, it is interesting that uh, they they don't value them as much as other teams do. The Orioles lost a 13 inning game to the Astros uh, on Tuesday night. They are now sitting in second place in the LA. They're 26 and 17 a game behind the Boston Red Sox who were 28-17. and By the way, Jackie Bradley Jr.'s hit streak continues. He had two hits last night. He's up to 28 games as far as the hitting streak is concerned, which is pretty damn impressive. And Jackie Bradley Jr. was a guy that uh, my read on him when he first came up is good glove can't hit, and he's really turned that around. So good for him. But the Orioles, uh, they don't get a win when Chris Tillman pitches, and that's a bad sign because Chris Tillman has been their best pitcher. Quite frankly, he's pitched – like an ace this year, uh, at least of late, he's seven innings last night, three hits, uh, three walks, two earned runs, five strikeouts to give up a home run, uh, and put the Orioles in a position to win. Uh, the Orioles had a couple of home runs. Pedro Alvarez is third and Manny Machado hit one that probably still hasn't landed. Boy, when you talk about getting all of a baseball, Manny Machado got all of that one, but the Orioles end up losing in 13 innings. Dylan Bundy gives out a one out triple, then loads the bases, uh, uh, to get a force in any base in thirteenth, and then Carlos Correa singled, and that's your ball game—a game that went deep into the night, a thirteen-inning game. Uh, you know, and especially for us on the East Coast, it starts at eight o'clock. It's a four-hour game, four hours and fourteen minutes. That's a long baseball game, but uh, for the most part, I think you still have to be happy with what you're seeing from the Baltimore Orioles. Are they flawed? Sure. Uh, there, there are many flaws with this team. I don't know about the starting rotation. Uh, Ivanny Gallardo might be soon uh, going on a rehab assignment, so he could be back. I'd say in the next few weeks, maybe three weeks. So I was reading uh, um, some stuff about uh, about Gallardo, and the hope is he can be back sooner rather than later. And, th- and that would be nice because I think they're going to need him uh, when you look at this rotation. Uh, it's it's not strong. Yeah. <laughs> They've got Chris Tillman. Kevin Gossman, say for one start, has been very good. But uh, the, for the most part, you know, Tyler Wilson is a guy that when he gets through the lineup the third time, he really struggles. And Mike Wright's kind of up and down. And abaldo has been awful lately. And that's the other issue when Abaldo has been so bad. And the other day, you know, that big win for the Orioles against the Angels Saturday night when Wheaters hits the uh, home run in the ninth inning to give them the lead, and they eventually win. And Wheaters has actually been swinging a really hot bat lately. did have two hits uh, last night in the extra inning game against the Astros. But when when they win that game Saturday night, my gut reaction was, this is huge because you've won the series. You were an out away from looking at – a possible loss of the series cuz you'd have a split in the rubber match would be Sunday and you knew Abaldo was pitching Sunday and you you don't if you're an Orioles fan you can't really trust Abaldo Jimenez right now can you I know I can't when I watch uh, when I watch him pitch I, uh, the the 50,000 dollar question is how come he can't repeat his delivery and he never has been able to do it you know it seems to be something that that is easy for some but really hard for a guy like Abaldo Jimenez and As long as he has those struggles, you're going to see starts. And he's had nine starts. Two have been really good. Three have been quality starts. And the other six have been bad, quite frankly. And the start against the the Angels on Sunday, he had an awful inning. And when you have an inning like that, and basically, and I didn't mind what Buck did because that inning got away so fast. And all of a sudden, it's, what, five or six nothing. And at that point, you go, you know what, Abaldo, You're staying in here. I'm not wasting my bullpen on this game. And I know Oriole fans were mad at Buck. Uh, that he basically just gave the game away. But the game was over. You know, Scope hit a home run to make it 6-2, to two, I think. And then the Angels, all of a sudden, it's 10-2. to two. So, you know, it, you you want to try to win every game, and I get that. But it's remember, we remind ourselves, with baseball, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you're not going to win them all. Uh, the best regular season team in modern baseball, the 2001 Mariners, won 116 games. That means they lost 46. So you experience losing uh, often compared to the other sports. You know, like the Golden State Warriors won 73 games. They only lost nine games. And now they're on the brink of losing. We're going to talk uh, later in the show to Brett Polikoff from uh, Fox Sports, uh, the NBA editor, get his thoughts on the NBA playoffs. And their minor surprise in the East, major surprise in the West. And coming up in a few minutes, Chris Naki, who you hear uh, doing the uh, uh, color analyst for the Maryland Terrapins basketball, does the games with Johnny Holiday on 105.7 The Fan. Also uh, writes for Baltimore Sports and Life. He's going to join us in just a few minutes, get his thoughts on Maryland. And uh, I'm going to ask him about the season that we just saw. And was it a disappointment? And we're still waiting on Melo Tremble's decision as we record today. A uh, lot of players, a good number of players have made their decision to either withdraw or leave their name in the draft. But Melo tremble has got to 1159 Eastern time tonight. He has yet to make a decision. And it's going to be very curious, at least in my opinion, Uh, what Mellow Tremble does. uh, Jeff Goodman from ESPN uh, and ESPN.com and ESPN uh, tweeted about an hour ago that Mellow Tremble's torn. And he can't be torn on his draft status. Uh, To me, that says he's torn on whether he wants to go back to school. Does he he want to just uh, decide to be a professional basketball player? Is he done with the college process? Because I I think based on his season – and then he seemed to have a relatively poor camp. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious he's not getting drafted in the first round. And there's some people who don't think he's going to get drafted at all. So you, you're in that Robert Carter Jr. Mold where you decide, you know what, it's time to be, I don't want to be a college athlete anymore. I want to be a professional. And no matter if it's overseas or here or trying to make a team, that's, that's what Mello Trimble, I guess, is going to decide to do. But as of yet, uh, as I said, as we as we tape today, Mellow Tremble has yet to make his decision, so I know there's a lot of uh, Terp fans that are uh, sitting around waiting with bated breath on Mellow Tremble's decision, and we mentioned uh, Chris Naki will be joining us. He joins us now. Chris Naki, of course, you can hear, doing uh, the color on uh, Maryland basketball games on 105.7 The Fan, and also writes for Baltimore Sports and Life, and Chris, thanks for joining us.
2: Oh, sure. Anytime.
1: So let's let's start with the with the Mello situation. And I, I just had said Jeff Goodman had tweeted about thirty minutes ago. Of course, he covers college basketball for ESPN. That Mello's yeah. torn on his decision. He has yet to decide. Uh, I think I think you'd agree that it's obvious he's not going to be a first round pick. So is this about whether or not he just he's done with the college experience and just wants to become a professional?
2: I think that's probably it. Yeah. Um... You know, I'm not sure that, you know, He, I think he had hoped against hope that uh, he would turn things around from his performance at the Combine once he had a chance to do some individual workouts with teams. And I guess that didn't quite happen for him. And I know a couple of those were canceled, as it was, which isn't a good sign, uh, never Mm -hmm. a good message. Uh, But, um, you know, I think he had his heart set on this for a long time. And uh, it's kind of tough when you're – you know, when your dreams are sort of uh, diametrically op- opposite from from the the reality of the situation as it currently stands. So, I, you know, I mean, I think he's in a good spot for himself. I think, uh, you know, I had read earlier this morning where evidently he'd been texting teammates that he was going to come back. But, you know, like you said, it just hasn't, he hasn't announced it yet. At some point in time he will, and uh, we can all move on.
1: Chris, looking back, what went wrong with with Mello? He had the great freshman year, and then the sophomore year starts really well, and he he hits that game winner at Wisconsin, and you think everything's okay, and then it just something went wrong, and he just never seemed to get it back.
2: Yeah, you know, um, it's funny. You we kind of all assume all along that these guys, because they are, you know, basically world class athletes, that they're not immune to uh you know psychological issues sometimes and and i think that Mello, you know he did he definitely hurt himself a little bit in the rutgers game shortly after the wisconsin that wisconsin winner um but i think that was pretty short-lived i don't i don't you know uh, and i don't remember you know they held him out of practice a little bit and he played in the games and. He seemed to still have the quick first step. It's just that, you know, when you stop seeing shots go in on a regular basis, it just sort of plays on your mind. And, you know, this is a kid who a couple years ago really wasn't really even on the radar screen. He comes to Maryland, he completely blows up. And yet I think that psychologically he may be a little bit more frail than than he appears. And uh, I think he struggled down the stretch largely because of issues between his ears as much as anything else.
1: Talking to Chris Naki, of course you can hear him do the color analyst uh, on one of five seven. The fan college basketball season with Johnny Holiday, also uh, right for Baltimore Sports and Life. And let's look back at, at this season. So much uh, was expected of this Maryland basketball team. Uh, do you think they suffered from expectations? Were the expectations too high? And they did uh, get to the the second weekend. So, do we chalk this up on a dis, as a disappointment based on the expectations?
2: No, hell no. I mean, I just think getting to the Sweet 16 is a, is a terrific accomplishment. Anytime you get to that point, you know, it basically is a one-game deal. Every game is a one-game playoff, and you, you have an opportunity to advance and move on or, you know, pack your bags up and go home. So stuff happens, you know, and, and they, they, they advance to the round of 16. One of the things that we saw – and I thought that our sub-regional, or excuse me, our regional there with Kansas and Villanova and Miami, and of course Maryland being the fourth team in there, I thought it was kind of an interesting sort of a test case that we probably should really appreciate. And that is the fact that teams with continuity, teams that have guys that play together for multiple years, are really, really dangerous. You know, obviously we saw what Villanova went on to do. Sure. Uh, Kansas was the same way. Kansas had some guys who had played together for a long time. And Perry Ellis, of course, being 42, 43 years old, was the ringleader to all that. He, he played then,
1: with Danny Manning, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and even
2: Miami. Uh, Miami had some guys who had been together for a while. I, I'm going to suggest to you that, I mean, people talk about the talent level of Maryland. Um, where, from where I sat, and I watched every minute of the Kansas-Villanova game, uh, excuse me, Miami-Villanova uh, game before we played Kansas, from where I sat, I, I thought the Terps were the fourth team in that regional. So for people to be disappointed in the fact that they didn't get to the final four, to me, and that's just one of the four regionals, you know. So, uh, you know, Sweet 16, considering the fact these guys, a lot of these guys had not played together, Diamond ended up being kind of a rental. Uh, Hell, even Robert Carter. You know, I mean, he Mm -hmm. he played with the guys during the year he sat out, but he was only with the group for one year as well. So there's Suleiman, same thing. Given that, you didn't have the continuity that a lot of programs had. And uh, it's hard to argue with Sweet 16.
1: Uh, Did the Carter decision surprise you, being that there really was no expectation that he was going to be a first round pick and the possibility is he might go undrafted?
2: Yes and no. You know, I mean, uh first of all, he's a wonderful guy. He's he's one of the great guys you'll ever meet. Um hard working. You know, he was graduating on time and I just think that in Robert's mind and he said as much and I I really I he's one of those guys that really take it as word. You know, just felt like it was time to move on. And uh I thought, you know, I was really impressed with his performance at the combine. You guys probably saw snippets of it and he, he looks so well-prepared, and so, um, you know, he was just bound and determined to go there and change people's perceptions of him, and I think he did a pretty good job with that. And, and you know, by the way, while we're on that subject, it really sort of underscores, you know, this this whole rule about giving these guys until May 25th to test the waters, that's fine, and it's very player-friendly, but the fact of the matter is a kid in Melo's situation does not get a chance to... Do what Jake Lehman or Robert Carter Did and that is you know Lehman goes to Chicago Robert goes to California basically they're they're Put with other NBA hopefuls In an environment where they're playing uh, Eight nine hours A day they're on a, a Really restricted diet they're lifting Weights I mean it, it's boot camp for Six or seven weeks leading up to The combine Mellow, because he didn't sign with an agent Doesn't have that opportunity So it's cool that they get a chance to test the waters, and I'm all for that. But guys like Mello, Ron Baker, or not Baker, but some of the guys who, uh, who went in there and didn't hire an agent really looked to me to be at a competitive disadvantage in that thing. And Mello looked Mello looked like he was floored with the quality of play. You know, Jake and Robert had been playing against those guys for six or seven weeks. Mello had been playing against the guys in College Park, and there's a big difference.
1: Chris, uh, looking back, how much did the loss of Deion Wiley hurt this team? I, I know that they expected him to be a, a productive member of the, of the, the basketball team, but I, I think at the end of the day, it was much uh, much bigger loss than they expected.
2: Yeah, it, it really was, and and he had, he was playing really well in the fall um, before he got hurt, and it, it really limits your flexibility in terms of the the options, the buttons that you can push on the bench if you're Mark Turgeon, Dion would would have been the second best perimeter defender behind uh, Suleiman. Um, he's a very, you know, uh, he's a good scorer inside and out. He makes shots, he makes plays. Uh, the other thing that sort of underscores how much that hurt was the fact that Jared Nickens really, for the most part, didn't have the kind of year that I think a lot of people envisioned after his freshman year where he came in and made a huge difference off the bench. And uh, so, the combination of Jared not being available – excuse me, of Dion not being available and uh, and Jared struggling a little bit, you know, from what he normally does, that's a bad combination, you know, and it put, puts further pressure on guys like Melo and Rashid. Uh You know, you, 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 he, Varun Ram may be the most wonderful kid I've ever met doing college basketball games, but if you're playing that schedule with Varun coming in as – you know you're third guard sometimes then you're probably not where you want to be
1: talking to chris knocky you can hear him do color analyst for 1057 fander and college basketball also read his stuff on baltimore sports and life ken wyman show uh let's look ahead uh even if mellow's not back obviously next year's team doesn't have the expectations that this year's team had but how good can this team be in your mind Well, I think
2: it's, uh, you know, one of the, I think it can be very good. I, I, you know, you have some unknown pieces, which I think for Maryland fans would be pretty cool. I think it's, it's always exciting to see new guys in the uniform, especially guys that you know can play. Uh, And I had a chance to see Cowan play a few times around town this, uh, this past winter. He was terrific. I get rave reviews on Kevin Herter as well. So, you know, it's exciting. Um, You know, I think that, Turge has some, you know, has some decisions he has to make. Obviously, part of that is dictated today by the events. You know, Mello's decision. If Mello, if Mello decides he's coming back for a year, do you, you play him and Cowan together? Do you turn Mello into Buddy Healed, where you're running a lot of plays for him and getting a lot of shots for him? Do you, you know, you've got some decisions to make about style of play as well. But um, I, you know, they, I think they'll be if Mello's back. You know, I think they'll be really, really solid. If Mello's not back you still have an opportunity to to break in some guys, force feed some guys in playing time who promise to be very good long-term players for the program. So I I think they have a chance to be good either way.
1: What are you hearing or what have you seen from LG Gill? Coach Turgeon loves bringing in transfers, graduate transfers especially, and they get another one as uh, uh, Gill leaves Duquesne and comes to Maryland.
2: Yeah, you know, I just hear he's a kind of a, you know, solid utility player. You know, he can play a couple different spots for you. I don't know that he's necessarily a star, but one of the things about Gil, you know, people say, well, gosh, you know, he only averaged ten and seven in the uh, Atlantic Ten. Well, the Atlantic Ten is really one of the most underrated year in year out, one of the most underrated conferences in uh, in the country. So don't don't look. You know, don't look uh, don't look the, like they they don't know how to play there. They sure do. And the fact of the matter is, too, we know very little about the system that Duquesne played, style of play. You know, if in fact they're a, they're a team that shoots an awful lot of threes, then you know, ten and seven for a six seven four man uh, or three four might be might be pretty good numbers. And in a different system. And in a different conference might be you know might be completely might be a lot better. I know that one of the things that this team needed, whether or not uh, Melo came back, is an older guy and an older influence. And if in fact, turge really went went after this kid, it's because turge saw something when they started to recruit him that you know he needed to, uh, some of that character, some of that because I, I do think that this team needs a level of maturity with whomever they bring in. And I think you get that out of a out of an older guy like this,
1: Chris, last thing for you. What I hear from fans i I hear this all the time from fans that they they don't like Mark Turgeon, and my favorite thing is that that they say he can't coach, which which is befuddling to me. He's one coach of the year in three different conferences. Yeah. Uh, I feel yeah. like he's got this program on the right track, so he didn't win a national championship with a team that had a lot of hype. I think the guy can coach. I'm just curious what you think of Mark Turgeon.
2: Well, I mean, it's his biggest crime it will be the fact that he followed a guy who won 700-plus games uh, and wore the uniform and really bled for the school and the program. And, you'll, you know, you those are a confluence of things you may never, ever see again. Uh, so, you know, you've got the specter of Gary Williams he's got to deal with. He's also kind of a different cut from a different cloth. You know, Gary was fiery, uh, you know, East Coast, Jersey – born Jersey bred, you know, kind of guy who just get in your face, very confrontational. Turge is kinda of midwest and different and, you know, he's just a very earnest guy. So there there's a kind of a dichotomy there. But I I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I I get a chance to go to practice. I'm blessed by that because I get a chance to see him work and uh he does things the right way. He really teaches these guys. They revere him in that locker room. Um terrific defensive coach. Uh, and I think just a, uh, you know, I think he's outstanding. And I, I think your point is well made. I mean, he's gone to the, to, to basically, uh, he's gone to the tournament three different programs. He completely turned around the first program he was at Jack, down at Jacksonville State. He's done a good job everywhere he's been, and he continues to get this team and, you know, I think headed in the right direction. Great recruits on board and and many more to come.
1: Chris, I always enjoy listening to you on the broadcast with Johnny. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Oh,
2: anytime. Thanks. I
1: appreciate it, Phelps. I appreciate it. Chris Naki, of course, uh, you can hear the games on 105.7 The Fan when it comes to college basketball season, which, uh, let's face it, even though we're just starting to get close to summer, uh, time flies. We'll be at college basketball again before you know it, and we'll be sitting here as we, as we sit right now. As of taping, Melo Tremble has not announced his decision that he has till 1159 tonight to decide uh, what he's going to do uh, as far as um, uh, going to the NBA or staying at Maryland for another year. And that that's an interesting decision, which uh, could affect uh, what Maryland basketball looks like next year. It's Ken Wyman show episode four coming up later in the show. Uh, Brett Polikoff, NBA editor for Fox Sports.com is going to join us. Uh, we'll, we'll, Get into some other stuff. I want to get back to the Orioles and what they've been doing and some of the decisions they made this offseason, some good, some bad. We'll get into that next. Ken Wyman Show here on uh, Baltimore Sports and Life Block Talk Radio.
3: The Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter, or Barks for short, is a nonprofit organization. They take in homeless, neglected, and unwanted animals in Baltimore City, and their mission is to accept and care for all animals in need, all of them, and they they only want to promote responsible pet ownership for a more humane community in Baltimore City. Please help care for the animals at Barks by making a tax-deductible contribution to the Barks Medical Care Fund. You can donate online at baltimoreanimalshelter.org, or mail a check to Barks at 301 Stockholm Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21230. Operation Second Chance is a group of patriotic citizens committed to serving our wounded, injured, and ill combat veterans. Operation Second Chance supports veterans and their families while they recover in military hospitals, and they do this by building relationships and identifying and supporting immediate needs and interests. Operation Second Chance is dedicated to promoting public awareness of the many sacrifices made by our armed forces. Learn more about Operation Second Chance at their website, operationsecondchance.org.
4: Speak, or Suicide Prevention Education Awareness for Kids, promotes the prevention of youth suicide through a campaign of education and awareness at the community level. Every one hour and 53 minutes in the U.S., we lose another young person by suicide. That's a Columbine every day. Speak is the leader of suicide prevention in Maryland and provides literature, speakers, and programs to schools and organizations. Learn more at speakforthem.org.
0: Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and
1: follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome back. Ken Wyman Show, Baltimore Sports and Life, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, episode four, as we, uh, take you through, and we just had a great segment with Chris Knocke talking some Maryland basketball. Um, and it's just very interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to see what Mellow Tremble does. Uh, so, uh, uh, I, I think he should come back to school. Obviously I don't ever begrudge a guy for making a decision that he thinks is best for him. Robert Carter, as Chris uh, just uh, put it last segment, Robert Carter was a guy that just, you know, he, he's graduating on time. He decided that he was done with this, and I can't hate him for that. If he doesn't want to stay in school and be part of this and wants to get started on his professional career and guys make it in the NBA that aren't necessarily first-round picks, uh, it, it's possible. Um, look at a guy like Draymond Green, who wasn't a big name when he came out of Michigan State. Now he's one of the stars in the NBA, though, He needs to stop flailing that leg. Beyond that, a hell of a player. But uh, I'm very curious to see what Mello does and if Mello comes back. If it's the Mello Tremble from his freshman year and the first half of his sophomore year, then that's a huge addition to Mark Turgeon's basketball team. But if it's the Mello Tremble that we saw the second half of his sophomore year, then I don't know uh, how big uh an addition that is obviously he's he's a veteran at that point, and hopefully whatever was going on with him last year he puts behind him no matter where he is, but it's obvious that he didn't make the impression that he wanted to make when he went to the combine uh Orioles play the Astros they're in Houston today and tomorrow and then go to Cleveland to take on the Indians for three games. And then they're home on uh, Memorial Day, four-game series against the Red Sox. And the Orioles are currently a game behind the Red Sox in the American League East. And to me, it's a, a, still a, a good team, still a flawed team. But just looking back at the offseason, some of the decisions that were made, obviously the Mark Trumbo trade has looked huge so far, as Trumbo uh, is now tied for the team league leading home runs with 13 as Manny Machado hit his 13th last night, and it just seems like every week Manny Machado uh, continues to uh, thrill us, surprise us, amaze us as a baseball player, whether he's playing shortstop or third base, and of course, with J.J. Hardy Hurt, it's a lot of shortstop at the moment, and he he can pick at a shortstop, and last night, just one hit, but it's a home run that that he crushed and still hasn't landed, and last week on the show, we discussed about what the Orioles are going to do with Manny Machado. And, you know, they were close to getting a deal done with him a couple of years ago. It was probably in the range, I think it was a five-year deal. It was between 80 and $85 million, and they were about $5 million apart, and the Orioles were reluctant to move anymore because they were worried about his knees. And now that deal looks like a bargain compared to what it's going to cost now because the reality is it's going to cost them over $200 million to keep Manny Machado. And And then what do you do as far as opt-outs, because the Orioles are opposed. But are you willing to give him an opt-out, say, after seven years? And you still got him for seven, and it gives him more time to get that second mega contract. But what if another team's willing to give him an opt-out after three years? It's just it's it's going to be very tough. And the the issue is, and this is something that I don't think the Orioles are, are good at, and at least they historically haven't been good at, and that's re- in recent history. They're not proactive at least not that we can see, they seem to be reactive instead of proactive and it would behoove them to be aggressive with uh, Manny Machado and try to get a deal done with him and, and try to get, give him an aggressive offer that he looks at and says, yeah, you know what? If I get the free agency, I might be able to get more money, but what if I get hurt? And this is guaranteed money. Now I, I think that if you're the Baltimore Orioles, you have to, you have to go to Manny Machado and make him a 200-plus million dollar offer, and, and the number I threw out is 10 years, 275. And it, I know you want to choke on it, but realistically, isn't he going to see that and more if he's healthy and he gets a 2018? Think about where where contracts are going. It's Steven Strasburg, and I know there's an opt out in the deal, but he signed a 175 million dollar deal. Yes, since last August, he's been really good, but for the most part, Steven Strasburg's been a disappointment as a starting pitcher. He can't stay healthy. He's never been that ace that that he was supposed to be, and maybe he's becoming that guy now, but you've just, uh, you've just uh, given him $175 million unless he opts out, and the only reason he's going to opt out is if he can get more. So you've committed $175 million to a guy that really has never done it, uh, done what you're paying him to do. He got more money than Jordan Zimmerman. He, he, it, it's not as much money as David Price or Zach Renke, but it's a, it's a lot of money for a guy that hasn't been the, that guy. And I know the Nationals are say, seeing the trends, and he's trending upward, and they're hoping that he becomes that guy, but that's, that's just it's a lot of cash. And uh, that's that's where baseball salaries are now. You know, unfortunately, we live in a world where the salaries keep going up and up and up. And the reality is that uh, you're going to have to pay Manny Machado if you want to keep him. Now, my opinion has always been when you decide to keep, give Chris Davis uh, $161 million. In my mind, you're pot committed to keeping Manny Machado, whatever that costs, because you can't just sign Chris Davis and that not sign anybody else. It just, it doesn't make sense as a business. You sign one guy and Chris Davis has been struggling. He's hitting the long ball, but he has been struggling of late, but I'm still confident he's going to hit 40 plus home runs or 35 to 40 home runs and driving a bunch of runs and he'll walk a bunch and he'll hit about 260 but that's what chris davis does and that's what you're paying chris davis to do manny machado looks like a transcendent baseball player looks like a guy that could be a first ballot hall of famer and i know we're talking it's it's very early but when a guy keeps getting better every single year and it, it's not just like better as like, well, Ryan Flaherty looks better than he did last year kind of stuff. It's a guy that goes from being a, a really good young player to being an all-star to being now talked about as one of the top three players in baseball. And if, and I know it's a big if, if Manny Machado stays healthy, he might be looking at $300 plus million plus when he hits free agency in 2018. And I know that's obscene, but that's, that's the reality. And so the Orioles have to keep that in perspective when they're looking at what they're doing. And the other thing, if you decide you can't afford Manny Machado, then what do you do? Do you ride it out and get the draft pick? Do you try to trade him and get as much possible, as much as you possibly can? There are decisions to be made there. And again, I feel like this team needs to be proactive instead of reactive. If, you're, if you make the decision that you can't sign Manny Machado, then you try to get as much as you damn well can for him. You make a team give up, uh, and I know it's a different sport, but a Herschel Walker-type package for a guy, Manny Machado, who's one of the top players in baseball. And when you combine offense and defense, some would say he might be more valuable than the Bryce Harpers and the Mike Trouts because he plays such a, a, a tougher position in shortstop, but... It's it's going to be a tough call, and the good news for the Orioles is they don't really have to make the decision until after the 2018 season. Uh, it would behoove them though to probably do something this off season, at least make an aggressive effort to do something this off season, because as I say, all the keep going up. Ken Wyman Show, Episode Four, Baltimore Sports and Life, part of uh, Block Talk Radio, and uh, you know the NBA playoffs. They you thought they were going to be predictable, right? Well, they've gotten pretty unpredictable lately. Uh, Let's uh, go out and talk to Brett Polikoff, who's NBA editor for FoxSports.com. He joins us now. And, and Brett, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, how's it going? Good, man. Uh, Let's start with the Western Conference Finals. And uh, what Oklahoma City is doing, I don't think many saw coming. They, They did beat San Antonio last round. But to be up three games to one now against the team that some say is the greatest regular season team in all of all time is quite a surprise.
5: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Nobody saw this coming. Most people predicted the Warriors to take this series in five games, possibly six, uh, despite what the Thunder did to the Spurs, and despite the fact that the Thunder really match up well against this Golden State Warriors team. You look at Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, uh, the emergence of Stephen Adams as a solid, you know, interior presence. Uh, this Thunder team really has the Warriors on the ropes, and the interesting thing to me, and everybody talks about Stephen Curry might not be 100 percent, still reco- recovering from his you know knee injuries uh, earlier in the playoffs. Uh, Draymond Green essentially disappeared in in the last game. You know, one for seven shooting, he was terrible. But to me, the biggest difference in this, the the difference in the Warriors in this playoff series is their defense. You know, they won the championship last year. They were the number one team in the league in defensive efficiency. They were the number four team in the league this season in defensive efficiency. And we saw the Thunder put up 70-plus points in the first half against Golden State in two consecutive games. So, to me, that's really where the problem lies for the Warriors, and they're in a lot of trouble now, you know, down 3-1 in this series.
1: How much credit do you him, Billy Donovan? It seems like he made a decision to go big against San Antonio, and that was huge. He's gone small against the Warriors, and that's been a big decision. Uh, during the regular season, pe- the talk was they're not really doing much different than they did under Scotty Brooks, but it se- seems like things have changed once the playoffs began.
5: You know, he should get a lot of credit, and not only that, the front office should get a ton of credit as well. I mean, they made a really big decision when they let Scott Brooks go last season. You know, he'd been with the team a long time, had the trust of Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, you know, we all know that Kevin Durant is an unrestricted free agent this summer, so to make a coaching change with that sort of hanging over the organization was a pretty bold move, and obviously it's worked out far better than expected. So Billy Donovan deserves credit, and the organization deserves a ton of credit for being willing to take, you know, such a risk.
1: Is it possible to be to put in perspective, Brett, how big a deal this would be if Oklahoma City, you know, if not for the Golden State Warriors winning 73, we'd been we'd have been talking a lot about the Spurs 67 win team and how good they were this year. But they sort of get overshadowed by the Warriors. Warriors. If the if the Thunder beat the Spurs and the Warriors back to back, is it possible to put in perspective how, how big a deal that is? It's an extremely
5: big deal. You're talking about two of the historically best teams, regular season-wise, in NBA history. You know, especially the Warriors, obviously breaking the '96 Bulls record for for most wins, finishing 73 and nine. So, you know, people talk about the Warriors last season being lucky in the playoffs because they didn't have to face uh, a tough matchup in the Spurs or the Clippers, which were arguably the team's best suited to take them out. Uh, the Thunder took the opposite road this season. They have the toughest road possible, and they're on the on the verge of getting to the finals. So. Uh, history will look back very favorably on this Thunder team if, in fact, they finish the job against the Warriors and end up taking down, you know, whoever makes it from the East.
1: Talking to Brett Polikoff, NBA editor from FoxSports.com. Uh, it, am I seeing this right? Does it seem like the Thunder's out physicaling the Warriors as well?
5: Yeah, the Thunder are are taking it to the Warriors, basically in every way possible. You know, the most impressive thing is a way that they've been able to handle that so-called Golden State Warriors death lineup when they go small, which has, you know, killed teams ever since, you know, they made that switch to Andre Iguodala in the finals last season. Uh, all year long, teams have been unable to deal with that lineup. You know, Harrison Barnes, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the on the other two guys, but uh, it's, their, it's their small ball lineup with Iguodala in there. And uh, in this series, the last two games, the Thunder – have scored 39 points in 19 minutes against that lineup, which is essentially unheard of. And that's a big reason why Oklahoma City is up 3-1 in this series.
1: So last thing about the West, is how do we remember, assuming that Golden State loses this series, and it's going to be tough to come back from three games to one down. It's happened before, but it's going to be difficult. How do we remember this Warriors team that won 73 games?
5: I think we remember them as one of the greatest regular season teams of all time, if not the greatest And, you know, maybe you look back and say injuries, you know, sort of broke their rhythm early on with Steph Curry. Uh, The suspension thing hanging over Draymond Green, maybe affected him mentally, you know, heading into that game last night. But, you know, you have to win a championship. That's the goal of every team in the NBA. Although you could argue that it's a bigger accomplishment winning that 73 games in the regular season because a team wins a championship every single year, the Warriors did something that hadn't been done ever and hadn't been close to being done in the last 20 years. So, you know, Golden State is going to be happy with the regular season ac- accomplishment, but they're definitely not going to be happy if they end up not finishing the job and winning that
1: championship. Talking to Brett Polikoff covers the NBA, NBA editor for foxsports.com. Uh, let's go East. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers had won 10 straight playoff games and looked like they were rolling uh, and nobody gave Toronto a chance. And now all of a sudden that series is tied. I don't think this is as big a surprise as what's going on in the West, but it's got to be a pretty big surprise.
5: It's a surprise that Toronto bounced back the way they did. You know, there's, there's sort of two reasons for that. The first reason is that the Cavaliers were shooting the lights out from three-point distance in the first couple rounds of the playoffs. They looked like the Golden State Warriors. They were taking more threes and making them at a higher percentage than they did all season long. And so when you saw that, you're like, okay, if the Cavaliers are going to shoot like this, you know, they're probably winning the title. Well, they regressed to the mean a little bit, especially once they got back to – once the series shifted to Toronto. So that cold shooting from three-point distance hurt them a little bit. And then, you know, the Raptors all season long have been very dangerous when both Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan get going at the same time. And that's what we saw in the last couple of games. With all that being said, I think, you know, pivotal game five in Cleveland, I don't see any way the Cavaliers lose that game. It's probably going to be a big win – uh, for LeBron James and his, and his teammates. And then we'll see what happens if it goes back to Toronto for game six. But, you know, that's been the key for the Raptors is that they play with high energy at home. You know, the emergence of Bismack biombo has been huge for them with uh, doing those Valanchunas out of the lineup. Uh, but I just think the Cavaliers will find a way to right the ship. They have two of the next three games at home, and I don't see them losing a series.
1: What the heck has happened to Kevin Love lately? And, and Tyron Lue didn't even play him in the fourth quarter of the last game
5: yeah you have to go with the matchups that that are working. you know Kevin Love has sat out fourth quarters you know earlier, different points of the season you know if he if he's not helpful on the defensive end of the floor and his shot isn't falling, which it hasn't been, then there's no reason for him to be out there and Channing Fry has been shooting the lights out from three. He's been shooting him at a very high per- percentage. He's just been a better option, so um you know obviously Cleveland is at its best when everybody has it going. Kevin Love was just fine in the earlier round of the playoffs. you know he might have tweaked his ankle. That last game, we'll see if that's an issue. But, you know, if he can regain his shooting touch, you know, the Cavaliers will be dangerous. But, look, they have options off the bench. It's crazy to think of guys like Channing Frye and Richard Jefferson who's been in the league forever, you know, providing quality minutes off the bench for this Cavaliers team.
1: Have you ever seen two stars like DeRozan and Lowry play so badly in the first two games, and then bounce back, especially game four, the way they both played. Uh, But these are are the two stars of their team to look so bad at one point and then look so good.
5: Well, I think it's more of an issue with Lowry because he just completely disappeared, you know, without reason, you know, at times in these playoffs. To Rosen, you know, he had a thumb injury. It wasn't, you know, widely publicized until we sort of saw that video of the trainer working with the string around there to try to – you know, sort of help fix that that problem. But that was the issue with DeRozan earlier in the playoffs. I mean, he he was injured. You you injure your thumb on your shooting hand, you're going to shoot at a low percentage. And he had to keep firing because he and Lowry is basically the only options offensively for the Raptors. Lowry is much more of an enigma. You know, mentally he just sort of disappears sometimes. But when he's on and when he has it going, you know, Raptors are pretty tough to stop on the offensive end of the floor. And you saw the problems that they were able to cause for the Cavaliers.
1: Uh, you mentioned Bismarck Biyombo, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's a free agent in the offseason, and with all these teams having all this extra money, he's probably made himself a lot of money in these playoffs.
5: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The system is sort of set up against NBA teams in terms of player development, right? I mean, you see the Raptors being patient, uh, you know, all season long, working with, with Biombo, You know, he has a breakout appearance in these playoffs, and now all of a sudden – you know, with the influx of, of television revenue, the salary cap's gonna spike upwards of thirty percent. Everything in the league's gonna have money to spend. You know, the idea of max contracts only going to the superstar players is out the window. Guys like Biamma are going to be in line for a max contractor pretty close. And that's going to be a very tough decision for the Toronto Raptors, especially because DeMar DeRozan is also an unrestricted free agent, and he's guaranteed to get a max deal, you know, from, from max offers from multiple teams. You know, so it'll be interesting to see if Toronto steps up and, and wants to pay him.
1: Yeah, Brett, it's funny with these with this cap going up so much and the team's having all this money and they got to spend it. You know, guys like Dwight Howard are going to get big contracts. And Dwight Howard, I don't know about you, but he just all he does is end up driving me crazy. But some teams going to give him a lot of money.
5: Yeah, Dwight Howard, the, the interesting thing with him is going to be how many years he gets. So he's going to get, you know, the max amount of money, you know, per season. But it, the question is going to be how many seasons uh, with with a player like Dwight. But, but you're right. I mean, every team has money to spend. And when you say they have to spend it, you know, you're right to a certain extent. Because even if you don't, spend the entire 93 million dollars you know that the salary cap requires at the end of the season you cut a check for the difference to to the to the players who are on the roster so either way teams are going to have to spend this money and you know there's there's no shortage of players out there who are going to be willing to
1: grab it talking to brett polikoff nba editor foxsports.com brett we've been talking about kevin durant and where he's going to end up all year i wonder if you think what's going on in the playoffs has changed his mind, or do you think he's he's waffled at all? Do you think he's even close to a decision? Where's where do you think his head is right now?
5: Okay, so the prevailing wisdom on Kevin Durant all season long from experts and those supposed to cover the NBA has been that he wasn't going to leave Oklahoma City this summer. The the thought was that he would sign a contract similar to what LeBron James signed, which is a one year deal with a player option for the second season at the max money. And the reason he wasn't going to leave is because Russell Westbrook is a free agent in 2017. So you combine that with the fact that not only is the salary cap going up this year, it's going to jump again in the following season. That would be the time for Durant to maximize his earnings on a five-year contract somewhere. And then also he and Westbrook could make their decision at the same time, whether they want to stick around in Oklahoma city or if they want to take their talent somewhere else. But I think, the fact that the Oklahoma City Thunder, just, even the fact that they made it to the Western Conference Finals, forgetting, you know, that they're up 3-1 on the Warriors and they may go all the way to the finals, just the fact that they made it this far, I think that solidified it, that, that Kevin Durant isn't going anywhere next season.
1: Brett, how is their relationship? And I mean, Westbrook and Durant, there was talk early on that maybe they didn't get along or that one guy doesn't, you know, one guy's Batman, one guy's Robin, but Robin wants to be Batman. Is their relationship solid enough that they want to stay together?
5: I think it is at this point, you know, they've been together so many seasons now and, you know, they've had a lot of success. You really look at this Thunder team, except for when they were uh, injured, they really made it very far in the playoffs. You know, if not the conference finals, the finals. So, you know, this is a, a Thunder team, you know, look, these are two of the, top five or six best players in the league, there's going to be some ego and some give and take. But, you know, Durant's a pretty easygoing guy. You know, Westbrook, I think, sort of looks up to him a little bit. I think the relationship has smoothed over the last few years. It's not nearly as volatile as it was before. And you look at the damage they've been able to do when both of them are healthy. I just
1: think it makes sense for them to sort of
5: look at their free agent decisions together when they both have a chance to either leave or choose to stay
1: couple final things with Brett Polakoff, NBA editor, Fox Sports.com Jeff Hornacek getting the Knicks job, not a triangle guy. Uh, did that one catch you off guard? You know, a little bit. The, you know,
5: the, the whole triangle offense thing, the New York media is completely obsessed with, with that angle anytime they're talking about Bill <laughs> Jackson and his, his decision. I mean, I almost wanted to mute the word triangle on Twitter, but then I was afraid I would miss out on like 100% of the Knicks news. I mean, it's completely silly you know, how much stock they put, put into that. But, you know, if you look at Phil Jackson, he's operated pretty contrary to the reports out there, right? I mean, the reports were like, he wanted Rambus as his guy all along. And then we see him interview with David Blatt, interview with Frank Vogel, and then end up hiring Jeff Hornacek, which it hasn't been official yet, but it's reported by, you know, credible NBA guys. Um, you know, Phil Jackson's done a good job of sort of evading, you know, the, the media madness in that New York market, Uh He's had a long-time respect for Hornacek, you know, dating back to the time he was a player. He has a rapport with him, uh, not a close relationship. And you're right, Hornacek isn't a triangle guy, but you look around the NBA, there are elements of the triangle offense almost everywhere. So you don't have to run it 100% in order to be successful. I think Phil Jackson's realizing that maybe he's willing to sort of back off that a little bit. But Look, Hornacek did a great job in his first year in Phoenix. He got a raw deal this this last season because, you know, the team should have traded Marquis Morris before before the year even started. He was a malcontent once they dealt his brother uh, Marcus Morris to the Pistons. And there was just a toxic situation there. So Hornacek really didn't have a chance. Uh, that final year in Phoenix when they let him go midway through the season. I think he's a solid head coach, and I think it was a a good decision for Phil Jackson.
1: Do you think Phil's committed to the Knicks, or is he biding his time to go join his lady in L.A.?
5: Yeah, there's a lot of talk about that, like that Phil might, you know, one day end up, you know, in the Lakers front office. I personally don't see it. You know, there's a division in the Lakers organization in that family ownership between the basketball side and the business side. Uh, Jeannie does have decision-making power, but she's on the business side. And then you also look at the fact that Phil Jackson's 70 years old, 71 years old. I don't know. I, I just don't see him leaving the Knicks and then joining the Lakers front office. I think he, he's going to stick out the Knicks gig as long as possible. It just seems like he truly wants to see it through and see a new system put into place. Uh, to me, the Lakers thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you look at his age and the fact that he'd have to probably bail on the Knicks early you know, to, to end up in a front office position in Los Angeles.
1: Last thing for you, Brett. I'm a long-suffering Philadelphia 76ers fan. Uh, I, I did not <laughs> buy into the process with Sam Hinkie. So, and, and while I don't ever like seeing people get fired, I'm, not, I'm glad he's not there anymore. Uh, but they have the number one pick in this draft. Uh, is there finally hope in the, for the future of the Philadelphia 76ers?
5: Well, first of all, I'm really happy to say that you happy to hear you say you didn't buy into that process because you know there's obviously a large segment of Sixers fans that are basically you know, affected by a a sort of Stockholm syndrome, right? I mean, they were all about (laughs) the process and Hanky. And it's like, you guys are crazy. Like, all you're doing is losing a ton of games. And then, you know, the draft is a complete crapshoot. You know, you saw this with Joel Embiid. I mean, he's really the best hope, you know, for the Sixers to sort of turn things around. And, you know, he hasn't played an NBA game in two years. So who knows? you know, what's going to happen with him. I think the number one overall pick in the draft, Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram, either one of those guys is going to be, you know, should be a perennial all-star by all accounts of things. You know, unlike when they drafted Nerlens Dole and Embiid, neither one of these guys is injured and is going to need to miss an entire season. So, you know, I think there are elements of that process that's, that can be helpful for an NBA team, but you can't just let it go on indefinitely, you know, bottoming out hoping for a top pick that you're going to get the next Kevin Durant. It's just not going to happen, you know, that way. It's too much of a crapshoot. And I think that's why you saw the regime change. They realized that it just couldn't be allowed to go on indefinitely. So I think Sixers fans finally do have some hope. You know, I've been told by uh, some NBA sources – I hate to use the sources thing, but I don't want to identify, you know, who told me. But I've been told by multiple people that free agents look at that situation in Philadelphia a little bit differently now, that they made that regime change. So – it wouldn't be a shock to see Philly land, you know, a couple of decent free agents, not, you know, huge all-stars or big names like Kevin Durant, but some veterans that could help more quickly turn things around and they could see some wins, you know, start to appear in Philadelphia after all that losing the last few seasons.
1: Would you go Simmons or Ingram?
5: I like Ingram better, but there's an argument to be made for Simmons. Um, you know, the way he handles the ball at his size, the way he can get to the basket, I mean, He's got a really impressive skill set. I, I don't think you can go wrong with either of these guys. I happen to like Ingram's game a little bit better at this point.
1: It's Brett Polikoff, NBA editor for FoxSports.com. Brett, great stuff, man. Thank you so much for your time.
5: Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it.
1: Yep. Ken Wyman show. It's episode four. We've got a little bit more time left uh, as we uh, go through and uh, get a little Ravens talk in here before we uh, head out the door here on episode four. Ken Wyman's show. Baltimore Sports and Life here on Blog Talk Radio.
3: The Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter, or Barks for short, is a nonprofit organization. They take in homeless, neglected, and unwanted animals in Baltimore City, and their mission is to accept and care for all animals in need, all of them, and they, they only want to promote responsible pet ownership for a more humane community in Baltimore City. Please help care for the animals at Barks by making a tax-deductible contribution to the Barks Medical Care Fund, You can donate online at baltimoreanimalshelter.org or mail a check to Barks at 301 Stockholm Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21230. Operation Second Chance is a group of patriotic citizens committed to serving our wounded, injured, and ill combat veterans. Operation Second Chance supports veterans and their families while they recover in military hospitals, and they do this by building relationships and identifying and supporting immediate needs and interests. Operation Second Chance is dedicated to promoting public awareness of the many sacrifices made by our armed forces. Learn more about Operation Second Chance at their website, operationsecondchance.org.
4: Speak, or Suicide Prevention Education Awareness for Kids, promotes the prevention of youth suicide through a campaign of education and awareness at the community level. Every one hour and 53 minutes in the U.S., we lose another young person by suicide. That's a Columbine every day. Speak is the leader of suicide prevention in Maryland and provides literature, speakers, and programs to schools and organizations. Learn more at speakforthem.org.
0: Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams, and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter.
1: Ken Wyman Show here on uh, Baltimore Sports and Life Blog Talk Radio. Ravens, uh, looks like they're getting ready to start their off season. Uh, workouts, Rashad Perryman at BaltimoreRavens.com had a video of him running. I think Ravens fans will be excited about that. seen a lot of articles talking about how this is going to be the year that Joe Flacco throws for over 4,000 yards. And if he stays healthy, I completely agree with that. Uh, see, I'm one of these people that thinks that Brashad Perryman is going to make an impact this year. I feel like that, he, that the Ravens handled it poorly last year, first diagnosing it as a day-to-day injury when it was a knee injury. And guys miss years with knee injuries all the time. And I think if they would have diagnosed it as such at the beginning, we wouldn't be having a lot of fans thinking this kid's weak or that the Ravens did this or that. I just think it was unfortunate. And if they had to do all over again, I think they may have handled it differently, but I think that with Prashad Perryman and Mike Wallace on the outside, I don't think Mike Wallace is great, but I think his strength is the deep ball and Joe Flacco can throw the deep ball. Uh, I th- I think that he's gonna they're gonna have an opportunity to make some big plays. Steve Smith I assume is going to be healthy and is in what's most likely his last season in the NFL, and I expect him to be productive. It, the guy's just a, a warrior. I, I and I, I sometimes I hate using that word because they they're football players, but he's he's I'm sure he's committed to getting himself back into shape and ready to play. And and I assume I'm going to see a Steve Smith that was similar to the Steve Smith we saw last year until he got hurt. And when you put those weapons in, uh, and I feel like even with the draft pick, the kid more from uh, Cincinnati, uh, I figured the kid Kenneth Dixon, the running back, plus Buck Allen and and Justin Forsett and whoever. But I think they have a lot of weapons. The tight ends, I don't expect Dennis Pitta to play. I don't think I'll see Dennis Pitta uh, play for the Ravens again. I'd be very surprised. And they seem to be pretty deep at tight end, not that these guys – are superstars, but they're all, Ben Watson's a nice player. Had a huge year with the Saints last year. I think Crockett Gilmore looked like he was going to. He was turning into a very nice tight end for the Ravens. Injury problems, but they expect him to be ready. Uh, who knows if Nick Boyle come? I guess comes back week ten after the suspension. But uh, they've got some some depth at tight end. Oh, and also Max Williams, the second round pick last year. I expect him to make a bigger impact at some point. So they're pretty deep at tight end. They really don't have a need for Dennis Pitta. But I, I'm excited to see what this football team does. I, I'm a little concerned on the defense, like uh, since uh, Daryl Smith's gone and you decided you didn't want a guy like Miles Jack, who's playing an inside linebacker with CJ Mosley right now, it's what Zach or Arthur Brown. And I, I don't really trust either of those guys now, granted the good news is it's not even Memorial day yet. So they'll have an opportunity to find somebody, somebody will either get cut or they'll, they'll sign someone that's on the street or they'll have somebody Daryl Smith was a guy they got late a couple of years ago and turned into a very nice player for them. So uh, I'm not, I'm not supremely concerned, but it is something to keep an eye on what are they doing at inside linebacker? I don't like the fact that they kind of neglected the secondary, but they seem to be confident in whether it's powers or, or Sharice Wright with Jimmy Smith and hopefully Jimmy Smith's healthy. I don't know what you're getting out of Darius Webb at this point. Uh, so uh, that's a guy I, I kinda believe if Will Hill and they knew the Will Hill suspension was coming, my opinion for what it's worth, and you can disagree, if Will Hill wasn't facing a suspension, I think what Darius Webb gets got cut, would have gotten cut and they would have taken his they would have eaten his salary or taken his cap relief for the moment and Will Hill would be the the uh, safety with Weddle. But when Will Hill's facing another suspension I think the Ravens were just, they just, no, we can't do this anymore. And now you've got Ladarius Webb, who really hasn't played safety in the NFL. He's going to now play safety for the Ravens, and we'll see how it works out. Uh, I hope it works out better than what he's been at corner since the injuries have begun, because they haven't been very good, uh, those results. And, And it's a shame, because before the injuries, Ladarius Webb was a very, very good slot corner. I remember him in the playoffs shutting down Wes Welker he was very good and looked like he was going to be a, a pro bowl corner. And, and the guy, that's why they paid him. Cause that's what he looked like. But then the injuries started to hit and you know, the rest of the story, but I do, I do feel confident about this Ravens team. Uh, and I think there's going to be good things coming in 2016. We'll talk to you next week.